Welcome to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I'm your host, Emily. I am a Kentucky native, now Boston-based artist, researcher, spirituality, and creativity teacher. I'm here to share with you stories and conversations that explore the sometimes subtle, sometimes epic ways that we as people discover our voices and begin consciously creating lives filled with meaning and expression. Powerful stories bridge the gaps between intellect and heart, between mundane and divine, between fantastical and practical. And I'm so excited to have you here sharing this space and being part of these conversations. Let's begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I know it has been a minute (laughs) since I announced that we were having a little mini-series on creativity and also since I put out an episode. And I have to tell you, I have been working super hard over here on multiple projects, uh, from this podcast to the um, spiritual learning community that I run called Mystical Spiritual Magical, to these new courses that I am getting ready to launch and offer for holistic business folks, artists, creatives, to help them to gain some teaching experience and gain some teaching techniques um, as they put together their own group courses. So essentially, I am supporting course creators in doing a good job of actually sharing information and not just like selling the course or making the course or having a signature program or whatever. Anyway, Anyway, one of the things that has been coming forward for me to look at this year in my own spiritual development and also in how I operate getting into it as a business and uh, the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast and basically everything is this idea of being an individual that serves a community and what the community's needs are and how those affect uh, what I do and what I offer, what my needs are, how those affect what I do and what I offer. And for the first time, I think like literally ever, I started reaching out to like friends and family, people in my close like sort of circle of community and asking specifically for help with my business. And this has been really interesting for me because I always feel like a lot of my life and a lot of my time has been spent in sort of like personal development, meaning personal as in solo. And sometimes that has meant like, separate from or alone. And in opening up and and saying, hey, I need help, and then uh, allowing people to help me has made a huge shift in how I feel about the concept of support. And also, it has made a huge shift in what I actually believe is possible for myself, for my business, for everything, for how I feel about um, community, how I feel about in terms of safety, all of that. All of that really has been coming forward to be seen, held, heard, and experienced um, really this month, but also I think for me this year is, is really understanding that dynamic between solo and community. Maybe you've been there too. I I think a lot of us are thinking about that dynamic because in COVID, we're sort of in our separate bubbles, but we're understanding all of the ways that community is connected. Um, So it's not surprising that (laughs) that this has come up. But today, like I said, I am interviewing my sister and two of the folks that she works for and with, excuse me, not for, with. 
They're on a creative team together and they work in collaboration. And it's why I wanted to have them on the podcast. So we're not talking about creativity, maybe the way a lot of us think of it, like a solo artist, you know, making a sculpture or something, or somebody creating a poem, um, you know, as they sit by the fire and and sip a brandy, whatever. Um, (laughs) What we're talking about is how they go about making a product that uh, facilitates people finding the the product that they need and also people selling the product to the audience that wants to buy it. And they're this really interesting in-between they are. And it's really interesting also you're going to hear in the conversation how each of them functions within the team because to take on something um, this big, and they do have a big account, which I'll I'll let them um, tell you about, you have to work in community. And so it's really, really interesting how each of their gifts is um, and the way they operate is in support of the function that they have within the team. It sort of blows my mind how they ended up in these roles, and you're going to get to hear that too. So for those of you who are feeling like, or maybe you're interested in advertising, this will be an interesting episode for you. But also for those of you who are still trying to find your path, or maybe even considering um, entering a group scenario or doing collaborative work, I think this is also a really, really, really interesting episode. Lastly, and I think you're going to find this even more interesting, they work together and they actually like each other. (laughs) They're um, on vacation. When I interviewed them, they were staying at uh, my sister and my parents' uh, home in Florida on the beach, and they were doing co-working together there, and I had the privilege of being able to interview the three of them at once. So you are going to notice some sound variations from that. Um, And I ask you just to be patient through that. But I also think what you're going to notice is the the conversational dynamic that occurs when this many people do an interview, which is also interesting because they feed off of each other in a really beautiful way that I think we can all sort of like take a little nugget from. So um, (laughs) without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and let you into the interview. Welcome, Abby and crew, to the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast. I am so excited to have you here today. Can you start by going around the table and just telling me uh, who you are and what you do? Yeah, I'll start. I'm Abby, your sister. Hey. Um, I We all actually work for Joe Anderson, which is an advertising agency, Um, And I specifically work in um, account management. And Lindsay, who also works in account (laughs) management. Um, My name is Lindsay. Yeah, I I also work with Abby on the account management team. I do not look after the below the line side of it. I look after the above the line portion of things, meaning like, like the advertising you would see like on TV or on a billboard or stuff like that. So is that the line? The line is like what you see, and then on the other side of the line is what you don't see? It's basically, <laughs> the line is all very blurry, but uh, I do all of the advertising at the point of purchase, and Lindsay does the rest. Got it. Are all of these acronyms and oh yeah, <laughs> like point, point of purchase? and So Abby does things that you see like in a liquor store or in a bar or a restaurant. Yeah. I do stuff you see like out in the world. 
And I'm Steven. <laughs> Hi, Steven. Uh, I work. I work with Lindsay and Abby on the Maker's Mark account um, as a uh, an account planner, which essentially means I I do a tiny, tiny bit of creative writing and a lot, a lot of bit of research. That's awesome. So you all are my first threesome slash foursome. So, <laughs> so this is the first group, yes. large group interview all at the same time. So thank you for being here. I actually, I think it's really cool and at least for me, really interesting because you all work together um, on the same account, right? So you work for an agency that does creative work for multiple different firms. And then and then you work specifically with a specific client that is in the beer and liquor industry. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. But our, our agency covers all sort uh, all a lot of industries, not all industries, but like healthcare, finance, uh, a lot of local Louisville where we're based, um, some businesses that work around the city. Mm -hmm. I also find it really interesting. You're all essentially on vacation together right now, right? Yeah. We uh, didn't get get enough of talking to each other for literal nine hours a day. (laughs) I realize that we know like their names, you know, we work so much, whatever we can cut that. All right. That was a <laughs> but well, I think what I'm getting yeah. at unhealthily so is that your job is also a very like social job. Like you have to work together in large teams to make to yeah. make all the creative stuff happen, but also to like make the whole job work essentially. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like all of our work, I would say, is collaborative, either internally with like creative teams or planning teams or even externally like with the interagency team so like all of the other agencies that work on this brand that we work on and then like there are layers of sort of like circles of groups of clients that we work with like we're always collaborating in different types of groups and sizes Mm -hmm. well I'm gonna have some questions for you on that but for now can we do a round of how you got into this work so kind of like what your history is and what attracted you to advertising specifically Yeah, I'll start. And mine was an accident. Um, I started in college with an accounting major, which was um, really dumb. And after a semester, (laughs) I realized that it was truly dumb. So um, I just like had a business degree and didn't know what I wanted to do. And then the year that I was graduating, um, our cousin Ellen actually worked at Doe Anderson um, and mentioned some of the work that she was doing and that they had an internship for the summer. Um, so I went and interviewed and got the internship. And then luckily, um, like a month after the internship ended, there was a job open. So um, I just like happened upon advertising and Um, I even had a job lined up actually at, um, a paint store, this like management trainee program. (laughs) I did not know this. This is amazing. What a different life you would have led. Yeah. So I was going to like end my internship at Doe and then two weeks later start at Sherwin Williams. And I was like, Oh no, (laughs) but it was a job. So I was kind of like, you know, whatever. I have something to do. The pressure's off. Like I'll, I can figure it out from there. And then they called me like two or three days before I was supposed to start that. And we're like, there's a job open if you want it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I do. 
I'll take it. And about what, eight or nine years later, I'm still there. (laughs) I didn't realize you were there for that long. Yeah. That's why she's so damaged. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. That's what she said. Jokes. All right. How about the, the other two of you, (laughs) how'd you get into it? What attracted you to advertising? I started, I graduated college with an English degree and like had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I was just kind of floating around and I tried a few things. Like I tried teaching. I tried, I was in the service industry for a while and, um, eventually just kind of like ended up with a job as a teller at a bank, which was pretty random. And I don't really remember like why or how I came into that, but I suffice to say it was not a happy camper. So about a month into that job, there was an opening in the marketing department at the bank. And I was like, all right, I got to get out of here. Like, I'm going to go for that. And I didn't really like have plans other than like, I just didn't want to be a bank teller. <laughs> and so that I just took the first job that came along and I started and was like, this is awesome. Every day is different. Like everything changes all the time. You don't get to just like learn, learn your job and then just do it for the next 50 years. Like you're gonna have to like continually figure new things out. Um, so it stuck and I went for, I was client side at first and wanted a little bit more, um, of like a fluid workplace, I guess I would say like a little bit more creative and relaxed. And so came to the agency world. I'm really really (laughs) curious, Lindsay. So you got an English degree when you, when you decided to go into the like, uh, marketing at the bank, were you, uh, like advertising yourself as able to like write copy really well or something? Like what, what did that look like for you? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, so the job that I took initially in the marketing department was communications director. So I was, yeah, writing most of the internal and external communications. And that's Um, like kind of when you, oh, sorry, I interrupted you. No, you're good. And that's like kind of when you discovered that you liked the like problem solving aspects and the fast pacedness of, of the advertising sort of, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very busy and different and like you never settle. You came at, in at the director level? No. Oh, what did you say? <laughs> did I say that? Communications director? Oh, no. I, communications coordinator? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How about yours? Um, yes. Uh, I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I was going to be a journalist. So that's, I was uh, one of the editors of our school newspaper. So I, uh, applied to college looking to go through the communication school at UGA um, with a journalism degree. I actually got deferred from UGA, so I didn't get to go there at first. So I went to a, uh, a smaller liberal arts school that was uh, kind of like two hours south of Atlanta for a year and a half before getting back into Georgia or applying back and actually getting in. And then here's the twist of fate, I guess, part was I got like, I had originally was like journalism. And then I was like, no, screw them. Like my grades are great. What is the hardest <laughs> school in the communications to get into? And it was public relations. <laughs> so I applied to both the journalism track and public relations track. I got into public relations and I was just like, well, I'll do this. You just <laughs> wanted to do the hardest one just to do the hardest one? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Cause I, I mean, I, could, I truthfully, I felt like, 
like I, I didn't I didn't like you had something to prove. I had something to prove. I had a chip on my shoulder, and I was like, UGA, you missed out <laughs> on a great year and a half. But I am I have grown. I am bigger. I am better, and I'm ready to slay. So anyway, <laughs> I graduated with a bachelor's degree in uh, <laughs> in public relations, and. Uh, I decided to go and get my master's degree kind of right after only because there was a, a, a specific program at the University of Georgia where I went, where it was like they called it four plus one. So I was able to go and get a master's in advertising in one full calendar year. So meaning that I didn't have to rack up mounds of student debt to go to get this thing. So I had knocked out my master's degree too. So now I could kind of start looking for jobs in either public relations or advertising. And so I ended up getting a fellowship, which kind of put me between two firms. Um, there was Ketchum, a PR firm, and there was BBDO based in Atlanta. So I split my time between working between those two things. And I got through the process, I kind of got a feel for what uh, what it was like on kind of both sides of the coin. Uh, and I preferred advertising, to be honest, um, but that they weren't hiring at the time and Ketchum was, and they liked me. And so I spent three years there where I most of my day was media relations, which would mean just talking to reporters, talking to the people that I thought I was going to be, which is a trip. Um, <laughs> I worked for Winston though, which there are some some fun memories there. Uh, lots of long nights. The Wendy's Twitter account gets a lot of love. Um, and I think rightfully so. I think that team's great. I can't take any credit for it. But <laughs> the one thing I can say that I, I gave a little assist, a little nudge to was uh, nugs with Carter are, are how old are people in the internet, <laughs> in internet years here. Because anyway, what? back what? In, in internet, internet years are like fast years. They are fast years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway. Speaking uh, of internet years, do any of you all know about Strongbud? <laughs> no. Is that, well. is, that's not, no, that's not a fish. Trogdor! No. Yeah, what? see? This is how internet years are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm illustrating internet years here. My whole generation knows all about Strongbad and Trogdor, and when you get off this call, you need to go to YouTube and type that in. Um, okay. Enjoy. Anyway, yeah, internet anyway. years go really fast because we're not that, we our ages but, aren't that different. <laughs> right. right. Um, but uh, those that are my internet years would remember a campaign. <laughs> not, it wasn't even a campaign. It was truly organic called Nugs for Carter. It was this campaign that this kid was like, how he tweeted at Wendy oh, and was like, oh, hey, yeah. how many, uh, like, how many retweets would I need to get? to get a free, a year of free chicken nuggets. Because he really <laughs> nuggets. And he, he, I, I, I think we can, we can fact check this, but I believe that is still the most retweeted tweet of all time. Um, beating out Ellen DeGeneres's like Oscar picture with like Bradley Cooper and all of that sorts of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> it was wild. So, and, it, and like, we even got, uh, we got Carter on. So this is the part that I helped with um, pitching media outlets, like, the Ellen show because it was her, uh, like it was her record that we were beating. So like I was helping like crafting those notes. And then I was also reaching out to reporters at Buzzfeed and stuff to help cover it and get him more retweets. It was, it turned out to be this whole thing. And so that was kind of like the highlight of, of that. Um, but you know, 
at the end of the day, I, I am cold calling reporters to, to add to like sample of a, a Wendy's cheeseburger. And so, <laughs> when, so I ended up um, going to portfolio school um, and it, I went to a place called Miami ad school. They have locations around the, around the country, um, not just in Miami. And this is the part that I would recommend to anybody, your listeners, the people around the table, if they were interested in, in going back to school. Um, but like I went a brand planning yeah. track, but if you're inter- if you're a creative, that's like coming out of college and, and asking yourself, like, is it worth the, the extra degree? Am I going to learn more on the job? I mean, if you can get the job, get the job. But portfolio school, I think over getting a master's is what I would recommend. It's less of a financial commitment. The The program that I went through um, was, was intensive, but it was true to life. I worked with, in our industry, um, the creative teams, if you, if you watch Mad Men, you'll kind of know this, but we have creative teams. So there's a copywriter and art director that kind of always come into projects together. Um, and so you like through portfolio school, I was actually in that setting. I had a art director and a copywriter working with me and I was the one providing like research, consumer research and, and things like that. And so we'd work together to actually create and solve business problems. The, and one of them, um, we, the Chattahoochee parks, um, around, uh, around my house actually, um, had a dog poop problem. So, <laughs> <Stop>. we, <laughs> but keep going. Cause yeah, <laughs> we developed a campaign like through portfolio school, we developed this whole campaign about like thinking about this park as, um, like, another backyard or your second backyard or whatever. It was this whole like feel good campaign that was like not meant to like scare people, but just like get people to think about this public space as their space. Anyway, the creatives really knocked it out of the park and we actually got to pitch it to the the park system and all of this sorts of stuff. So anyway, for people that are interested in getting real world experience, but maybe not in the real world just yet, portfolio school is how I would suggest going about doing that. Anyway, you can't tell a story about that and then not tell us whether or not they, you had less shit in the park. <laughs> <laughs> we did not uh, We did not record the number of poopies. Oh. So we didn't have a baseline to start with. But funny story about actually conducting the research for that. I, I went out to some of the parks to just to survey what they were um, and like and form hypotheses about like why they were about having poop. what? About poop about poop, about why they were specifically having poop problems. I deduced, I deduced that, <laughs> that it was a more, like dog poop is a problem everywhere, yes. But if there was a reason for there to be a, a spike in poop in this particular locations, it, they were heavily wooded with like, um, like, boor, like slatted boards that went across like swampy lands. And so you'd see doggy uh, doo-doos like, bags and things kind of off to the side and pushed into leaves. And I was like, well, that feels like if it feels too natural, then people, the natural inclination for people to think about like, well, if 
my dog's poop is natural. So if I just let it poop and it's like in the leaves, it's not, nobody's going to interact with it. It's yeah, fine. No one's going to see it. So that's not necessarily the case. We get into this whole thing about like the Chattahoochee river is one of the main uh, water sources for the Atlanta area. And because our dogs poop, they technically break the ecosystem. Like an ecosystem is a closed loop. So our dogs poop. We introduce different, uh, because their diets don't come from that ecosystem, they're introducing bacteria that are foreign to everywhere and they start killing plants. They get into the water, which is why I mentioned pollute the water, all of this sort of stuff. It's bad news. Plus it's unsightly, <laughs> which is probably <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we don't know. Yeah, they didn't go. They didn't go back and research. But like, but even if you didn't have a baseline, like, like just anecdotally, was there less poop? They were. They were pleased with the signs. Okay. And little like dog poop. Yeah. Roll things. And we had this whole campaign where we were going to get like the the kids um, to help like make the dog poop bags we were going to have them color it and stuff oh that's a great idea yeah <laughs> um it's interesting hearing you all like interact uh with even just with this idea so like what are your roles on the team <laughs> yeah um, well so the way a project would work <laughs> yeah um, so Lindsay and I, since we're in account services, we work directly with our clients. So um, in the beginning of a project, they'll come to us and say, we have a problem that we need to solve, like dog poop. So <laughs> they come to the account team with a problem and what they need our help with. We, in turn, um, take that to our planning department with Steven um, talk through the problem. Um, you know, we'll go through like some considerations from our client, a little bit more background on like maybe why they're having a problem. Um, some of the solutions that they have already started to think through, um, and the overall kind of campaign and goal for the brand, um, just overall. And then, um, Steven writes a creative brief. Um, to which we then take to our creative teams, the copywriter and art director and quote unquote, kick off a, um, project. Then what happens? <laughs> the magic then happens. Got so, it. <laughs> um, we get off with the creative teams at that point, um, is when they start concepting, um, all of the creative ideas. So basically, they go back and um, help us determine what the ads or whatever we're developing um, look like, um, the messaging that goes along with it. So to Steven's point, like if we're talking about poop, we don't want to shame people because that's maybe not the reaction that we want to get from them. So how do we phrase this or how do we show up so that it is in, inciting a behavior that we want to happen, not you know making people feel bad and then they start doing even worse things. Um, so they, then our creative teams come back to the account and planning department and say, all right, here's our solution to the problem. Um, and our answer to the creative brief of which we then, um, take to our clients and present it with the creative teams and say, Hey, this is what we heard. Um, and here's our solution to that. Anything you want to add? I would say like the, it, 
it all sounds very like, um, like rote memorization of like a, going through the process, I guess. Mm-hmm. But I would say like the, the brief is an interesting part of the process in general, because I think it's so hard to like, you mentioned like we want to incite behavior that's that gets people to do what we want them to do rather than like accidentally shaming them for like leaving dog poop in the park, for yeah. example. <laughs> I love this that this is the yes. yeah. analogy. <laughs> shaming does work. Shaming does work. But I think Steven has a super interesting job because you have to find, you have to go, you yeah. have to be like, okay, here's a problem. XYZ is happening, but instead we want ABC to be happening. And you have to then basically go and like research consumer behavior to find an insight that you can then basically serve to the creative team on a silver platter to be like, go develop creative to like produce yeah. this result. But like, I think that that, I think that the, the fact that the work that you produce is such a, like a small piece of paper, basically, like you, yeah. you basically write like two pages max. Yeah. But like that, if that isn't right, everything yes. is wrong. I almost asked you that the other day, if you were nervous writing briefs, because you could drastically change an yeah. entire program. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so earlier in the week, this one, Lindsay, uh, said that she likes to feel powerful. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well who doesn't? I have all of the power. <laughs> <laughs> they just thought they did. <laughs> no. <Shit>. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I feel very lucky to have the position I have now working in the discipline that I get to work in. And so for those... Uh, not familiar you, it, uh, account planning or brand planning is I said it kind of at the top, but I guess in simplest terms is uh, we work in insights, uh, consumer insights, media insights. If we're talking connections and planning. the tension, you got to find the tension. Oh, but like, so here's the deal. <laughs> we always, so we, we, we trade in insights. And so what's an insight? Well, um, <laughs> it's like, you can take all of this uh, data, this consumers buy X um, and they buy it on in the summertime and whatever. So you can have all of that information, but it doesn't necessarily help the, a creative team if, it, if, if there's no human motivation behind it. And so when, when we talk about an insight, I think it, it most closely is a human motivation. Why is this person doing this and to kind of what Lindsay, I think Lindsay's point was she mentioned something earlier about like a client will come to us with a problem. Well, a lot of our jobs, I think collectively is interpreting what a client sees as a problem and then kind of accurately diagnosing it as, is it a, is it an operations problem? Is it a communications problem? Is it a people problem? Mm -hmm. Uh, Then kind of going, going from there. And so, yeah. Working insights. It's fun. It's really interesting because it sounds like what you do is also a mix of like psychology and, and also like, and I know this is going to sound really weird. I know a lot of my podcast listeners are really into like woo woo stuff, but it sounds like you rely a lot on your, I'm not going to say intuition, but on empathy because you really have to get into how people think and how people feel to be able to then guide them to a behavior you would rather them make 
For example, right. the poop thing, picking up the dog poop. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what would be the kindest, most effective way to ask someone politely to just do the right thing, right? Yeah. And, and so that seems like really interesting to me. And I'm also really interested in this idea of like how many hands touch a project before it goes out into uh, above the line where like I would experience it in a shop, you know? A lot. Um, a lot. Well, we also work on a very big account. I mean, there's different sizes, obviously, but um, like even our client, there's a lot of people who touch it. And then um, like on our account team, we have the biggest account um, folks. Yeah. But I mean, so I guess it just varies, but obviously you could look at the client as being one, but normally like for us, there would be like three or four of them. And then they send that up the chain to like six or seven other people for, um, kind of reviewing and, and, um, uh, approvals. Yes. Thank you. Um, and then on our side, I mean, it would be Steven, um, like counting at least two, two of us probably, um, and we have like creative team. Yeah, we have every project will have at least a copywriter and a art director designer, and then um, we have like other internal um, folks like proofing. Um, yeah, proofing graphics, graphics teams, um, you don't project know. managers to make sure everything's getting done on time and following timelines and the meetings are scheduled so that we're all showing up at the same time and know what we're looking at and the point of the meeting and things like that. Make sure like paperwork's in the system. So that right there was just, I mean, 10 people easily. Yeah. I will say even before that happens though, like a lot of times if I get a, if I get a client request for a new project, I will usually get, we have a little like teams chat, the circle of trust. It's like the account Mm -hmm. team, basically. It's just like the four of us. And I'll like kind of, like punch things around a little bit with that group before I even get a, before I even ask for a planner to write a brief. Yeah. Cause I'll be like, Abby may be aware of something that's already in the works for below the line that like affect what I'm about to start in motion. Yeah. Or like maybe Aaron's working on something digital. Like we just, I just feel like there's so many, it's like an octopus. So you're always trying to make sure that you're aware of like what's going on and all of the different um, sectors of the account. It's a, it's big. Yeah. So not every account is like that. I find it. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, and I wanted to quickly jump back. You had mentioned that, that there's a great deal of empathy that goes on specifically with the job that I do. Well, one, yes, uh, yes. Thank you. That feels so sweet. This week, our company um, put us all through empathy training. Steven <laughs> has the most empathy, and I think I came out at zero. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we got that going. I have that going for me. Yeah. <laughs> I came out at like one. Yeah. Lindsay had one. <laughs> but a lot of the resources that I use, like today, I, just today, I told uh, Abby, like, she's like, what are you doing? Are, are you listening into like this call? Cause I was just over here on the couch and I was like, no, I'm reading poetry to get inspired <laughs> to, to be inspired for this summer, like summer brief that I'm working on for social media. So I was like, I like truly some, like the most, 
the most helpful resources I have are like psychology textbooks. I'm reading right now a book called um, The Hidden Spring, which is about consciousness and how consciousness is wrapped up in our feelings. Um, yeah, very interesting. So like, I feel like though that's like when I, when we talk about like where our creativity comes from, but like I outsource mine, <laughs> uh, I, 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 try, I try to just like think laterally from, from a problem. Like, uh, Lindsay made a metaphor, but kind of thinking in metaphors about she has to be an octopus. Well, mm-hmm. I, I want to try and find metaphors for the questions that, that for business questions. Um, so I can ultimately find a, uh, find, find a creative answer. Yeah. Or inspire other people to come up with a creative answer that would fit. Right. Right. Like, yes. I feel like maybe we should record a separate episode about, uh, Steven and empathy <laughs> and cre- yeah, about Steven. So- <laughs> you know, he's available. <laughs> yeah. You made me realize something that I had never really like, I guess identified before, but yeah, like all, I'm sure all ad agencies feel the same way that we feel that we do have to operate in an empathetic way because we wouldn't be good at our jobs if we didn't. Yeah. But like we, our, our particular agency implemented like a set of values. What, like a year ago, two years ago. Yeah. And, COVID. It, and they basically were like, if you're going to, if you want to work here, you will exude these. And if you want to be our client, you will too. Um, yeah. And one of them is to, to assume positive intent in others. And like, I've never really identified before, or like articulated that, like, that's basically, that's empathy, right? Like assuming that others mean well. Yeah. And it's interesting that like, as an ad agency, that's basically one of the three things that we were like, you will do this. Be one with the ant and the anteater. Yeah. Like it's all, it's all all empathy. Yeah. This is fun. I also like, I just, I am so fascinated from a creative perspective, because everything you just said, uh, like I'm doing with my own business and my own company. And I, I know the listeners know this, but you all might not know this. Well, you're sitting there among some of my artwork. Um, (laughs) but like, it's really interesting what happens with our creativity when we take ownership of it. And sometimes it can be really hard to like give up control over facets of it. And so what I find fascinating about you all is that you, you like have ownership of your process or of, of, of which leg you are in the whole octopus, or if you're the head or, or the brain or the limbic system, I'm taking this analogy too far, but, um, (laughs) but I, I'm kind of curious, like, I think a lot of people would would tend to feel like protective or um, like vulnerable when they put like work out there, which is what you do like on the regular. Um, so I have a two part question. <laughs> I can only keep back one thing at a time. <laughs> okay, well then I'm gonna just ask it this way: how how does like vulnerability factor into a what you do, and also b how you interact as a team? Yeah, you get it. Oh, okay. So I'll, I, I have I, zero I, empathy and zero vulnerability. I thought we'd, we'd just <laughs> Abby, <laughs> stop. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That one's <laughs> a great question for Steven and for like a creative person, because as account managers, Abby and I aren't like putting our hearts and souls into our work. Yes, we are. I mean, 
Yeah, but your your focus is somewhere different than the creative team. Your heart and soul goes into the communications and the management of it and stuff. Thank you. Yeah. For articulating what I was trying to say. Yeah. (laughs) Happy. Steven. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. um, So it, I I know, uh, I can only imagine a handful of listeners would be familiar enough with a creative brief to, to know what that document is or what that entails. So instead I'm going to reach for another metaphor, try to find something comparable. Um, but there is a lot of research and effort and, uh, that goes into, to building that, a, a rationale for, for basically a creative story. Um, and I think people forget, especially in, in like more hard sciencey, I mean, I wouldn't call my, what I do hard science at all, but like, I think some of the most creative people that I know are like true blue scientists and the way they ask questions is interesting or how they get to an answer is, is interesting. And, and, and so that's what I like, what I'm ultimately trying to say is the, what I, the creativity that I bring to any project is, is the way I'm asking questions or the way I choose to answer a question. And, um, there is a lot of your personality, like in how you are, like articulate a problem to yourself. There's a lot of your personality in that. Um, and so to do that for an entire team is intimidating. Um, and ultimately, if you don't have a solid rationale for why you made the decisions you, you did through your research process, the rabbit holes you decided to go down and the ones that you completely ne- neglected, um, invariably somebody is going to have another perspective to add. And sometimes when the, when it's not constructive or it doesn't feel like the tone of the conversation, uh, it, it can be super, super deflating. And uh, <laughs> it, it, like, I'm going to be honest, we just uh, had a come some new leadership kind of come in and more, there were new eyes um, that were, applied to the, the creative brief process that I oversee. Um, and it was that, and they were, I think, rightfully critical of a lot of like the decisions and the templates that we were, we used. And so there was, a there's like, at, at the end of the day, I like forgot how to or lost confidence in my ability to write briefs. And so there is, <laughs> Like, and I was like, this is the one thing that I do for my job. I'm responsible for these two pages and I can't do it anymore. PR it is. Yes, PR. So back to PR. Um, But like, I think how things have gotten better and like, truly, this is pretty fresh. This is pretty fresh stuff, like past month stuff. He's fine. But um, we're fine. But also listeners know. Not I'm 30 years old. I shouldn't be giving advice to anybody. Um, <laughs> but, but I would just say that, like, if you feel like, ooh, you're like, at some point, you'll you'll age out of worry. Maybe not. <laughs> that well, at all. No, I think mm-hmm. I anyway. think it's like interesting the the pro and con that you just laid out. So like the pro of being part of a team is that you have exposure to all the diversity of other people's opinions. And the con is potentially losing yourself or becoming so self-conscious in that environment that you know, that you feel like you, you're not doing great work or you can't give advice or, you know, whatever it is like, but it's, it's so funny to me 
I kind of want to talk about your, um, like how you all, not how you function as a team, but how you optimize what you do for your like sort of attention spans or how you like to work. Um, because I love that Abby's over there. Like, did you hear what's going on in the call? And you're like, no, I was reading poetry. Like, <laughs> My response was, oh, I love that. But also I need that brief today. Well, and I know that you said, Abby, you, that you scored zero in empathy, but to some degree leadership. Yeah. Yeah, I know. But to some degree, leadership requires detachment so that you can ask people to do things they're not comfortable doing. And listeners, my sister is now flicking off her entire team. (laughs) 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 Well, playful detachment, see? (laughs) Playful prodding. So, like, Abby, what is your workday like uh, versus Lindsay, yours versus Steven, yours? Um, my work day is truthfully a lot of meetings. Um, I now, so the piece of business that I work on, um, is I work very closely with the managers on the client side that oversee basically like the feet on the street. So all local sales teams, um, are basically my clients. So I have several clients that I work with on the local side, plus the national brand side. Um, So I'm constantly, frankly, in status meetings with all of them. And there's so many projects, um, both large and small. So like with working with the local teams, there's always like these little requests here and there. I mean, basically like every week of just things that they need versus um, I also work on the national programming, which is obviously like a larger project, but that takes several months that we're working on like our overall national programming for the whole year. So I work on a a lot of varying projects and size and timelines um, and several different clients. So um, I also have um, two other girls who work on my team. So um, just making sure that they're feeling supported and going through all of their projects and making sure everything's just flowing, um, smoothly and everyone knows what next steps are and how to handle, um, all of the projects that we work on. So, um, I think Lindsay, you talked about this earlier. I love it because no day is the same. I will, I'll never show up and be like, I'm going to do the same thing today. I'm like, Oh my God, there's a fire drill here. I got to go handle this because someone called last night and we have to handle this. So, um, but I obviously, I think everyone on this call knows my personality. So I love that. <laughs> um, the chaos. The chaos. I thrive. Um, but it's so funny because when you were talking about our attention spans, and I know I've told you this, and right before um, we hopped on the call with you, we were laughing about um, we all, everyone at our company has to take a PI test, which is a personality index. And to work in account services, you have to have a very specific PI or they won't even consider you. And so like Lindsay and I have to hit certain um, traits to be able to work in account services. So you you have to have some sort of assertiveness. Um, You have to be pretty impatient. 
um, so that you can make sure you're like making sure the teams are doing what they need and also making sure things are getting done. Um, overall, I think that's kind of it for account services that you have. <laughs> but there was, uh, you probably have to be extroverted because the day that you just described sounds like my nightmare day. <laughs> We do have, I mean, there are yeah. like Aaron's an introvert. Like yeah. there are people on the team that are introverts, but you got to be able to like turn it on when you need to. Yeah. yeah. Hang out in meetings all day. That would drive me insane. I would not call yeah. myself an extrovert. I don't think. I am. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He definitely is. <laughs> but my, I, this is why I think actually the part of the business that I work on is perfect for me because so there's one little baby number at the end of a page that no one for years knew what it meant. And then we were in a training with the PI company and someone was like, what is this number at the bottom of the page? And he's like, Oh, it's um, basically your battery. So how long you can go before you have to recharge and it goes to a hundred. And he said, most people like the average, I think is 70. And the, the, my friend sitting next to me, like just started dying laughing um, and the guy was like, what's so funny? And she's like, Abby's is a 27 of which his response was, Oh, I think that's the lowest I've ever seen. <laughs> and like you yeah. recharge your battery by talking to people and like by, by getting different stimulation or stimulus or like doing something different. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so someone was like, well, what does that mean for her? <laughs> I just get fired. Um, <laughs> entire agency um and he first said well truthfully you just have to have a boss who doesn't care how you get the work done just so long as you get it done Mm -hmm. Uh, I was like yeah that perfectly sums me up I will get the work done but like every day is going to be different I'm gonna I have to do it the way I want to or I I can't do it I'm going to look at puppy videos for a solid 20 minutes but then I'm going to sit in meetings for about eight hours yeah but you can't be mad at me for looking at puppy videos. Mm-hmm. Cause they make you happy. They recharge your battery. Yeah. So I like having different clients and having like a million different meetings and talking to people and, and working through that. I know. I remember us <laughs> laughing about that because I was like, I need to do one thing for eight hours straight. <laughs> yeah. And, and you were like, that sounds like my nightmare. And that you're, <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of hilarious. So I, I'm curious about um, Stephen and Lindsay, what how your like work day is sort of optimized for how you operate. Mine is super similar to Abby's. I I too am in meetings roughly from eight to six most days. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then you know you you like second shift starts after dinner. I guess <laughs> um, paperwork starts after dinner, yeah. <laughs> or just like. We're, Responding to the 147 emails you get on an average day. Like, yeah, it's, um, and it's funny because like here, like this, this experience is very interesting to me because it's making me take a critical look at like my own perception of my day to day. Like, I feel like we always, you know, like we bitch and complain at the end of the day. We're like, Oh, it sucks. Clients are annoying. Bosses are annoying. Like this was hard, but honestly, like if I'm being totally transparent, like I fucking love it. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I want to be in the thick of things all the time. Yeah. And we are. Um, but my, my day is, is similar to Abby's like in structure, I would say, but, but different in terms of like what we produce. So like you have, I feel like a lot of your projects are like, <laughs> they're like, we need this tomorrow. So you, <laughs> your projects begin and end within a week sometimes. Yeah. 
mine go for six to 12 months. Um, and I, I spend most of my time, honestly, as the, the IET lead trying to basically just like connect dots and being like, okay, what is this agency working on? What is this person on our team working on? What's like trying to like draw lines between all of the many things that are going on, I think is, is my like primary objective in a given day. Um, and then like spending time with, I also work on a different account. Um, so like I sometimes try to check in with him and see what's going on. With that. <laughs> I don't that um, but then the people that, that are on my team, um, on our, on our big account, just trying to like, see if there's any like roadblocks that I can remove for them or like anything I can shake loose or like, you know, you at a certain you're in the same role. Like at a certain point you, you enter into a phase where like it becomes your job to kind of like move things out of the way for the people on your team. Yeah. That's becoming, I think more of a, of a like feature of my day to day. Yeah. And then I don't think my day is optimized for what I need to produce (laughs) (laughs) because I too am in meetings a lot of the time. Uh, Obviously a, a big part of my job is making sure that the, like the creative gets sold in, making sure that the creative it like is getting, <laughs> but creative as in uh, actual ads, like billboards, prints. What are you laughing at? Um, I'm laughing at a meme that I sent you of some some guy that was like like building the strategy setup like thirty minutes yes. before the creative. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, it's like trying to put out a fire on an airplane. <laughs> Um, while trying to read poetry to be in the side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my point. So it's like, well, getting yes, while I, like, I do love, like, with varying degrees, uh, uh, every part of my job. Um, there are some clients that it's truly a joy to work for, others, <laughs> not so much. But, um, Those will remain nameless. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and I mean, it's situational too. But, um, I like, when you are like trying to be actively trying to be creative um you know doing the things like i have mentioned before like asking interesting questions or freight or looking for a way to phrase a problem or something interesting that could might maybe be inspiring to something that's it's mentally taxing um and to just continue to be on throughout the day what I've ultimately started doing now that I kind of like have the the luxury of like working from home is I will like kind of go through the beats of my day, make the presentations happen, do some research when I can, uh, do a little bit of the creative writing that's uh, that's necessary if I feel inspired, then like find different ways to refuel, whether it's like going on a run and just trying to clear my head so I, I'm ready for like the second half of my day or just kind of like racing through the meetings for the day and then like mm-hmm. saving like my critical thinking part for like dinner and like uh, whatever. <laughs> like, what, I think it's interesting that like if, you know, like if Abby and I have a rough week and like don't get time to exercise or like do the things that we want to do to recharge, like ultimately if we have to, we can just power through the next five days of meetings, you know, like we just have to do it because really all you have to do is just like show up and like push through, but you like, you must recharge because if you don't like you, you can't do the creative work that you need. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, Yeah. there's, I think that's, yeah. 
I mean, our whole industry is kind of yeah. based on very fair. There, it's kind of based on like creativity on demand, which mm-hmm. I don't think is an actual thing. Like, yeah. you can't just manufacture it. Um, yeah, so, but there's something to be said for like. <laughs> we're on a timeline, people. <laughs> I know, but a lot of creatives, speaking from personal experience as well, thrive on procrastination and deadline, the pressure of a deadline. And so sometimes like deadlines make things spontaneous, spontaneous things happen because you can't stew over the decision you just have to make. And if it doesn't work, then you have to solve immediately. And, uh, that, that opens up a level of creativity too, but also it is very pressured. Um, and that can feel limiting as well. So pros and cons there, right? Right. And like, like, we're not creating for, you know, like for ourselves, like for an audience that, for the audience that we want or, or whatever, um, it's for a client who ultimately like, it's so interesting to be able to, to like, look at a piece of, uh, of art and just say, no, this is wrong. Like, I don't know if like, is there another industry or another artistic (laughs) endeavor that just like your work can be declared wrong and never see the, I guess so. <laughs> but like, it, I don't know. Like, well, maybe. we're not getting into the logistics of the politics of the modern gallery scene. Yeah. <laughs> the art trade. Like we're not even going to go there right now, but, <laughs> but yes, there, there are situations in which your art will never see the light of day. <laughs> wow. Yes. Yeah. Even if you are making it for yourself for uh, mm-hmm. for an audience of your own choosing uh, or but, if you are yeah. making art in grade school and you draw a beautiful picture <laughs> of a family dog that gets put <laughs> in the basement storage closet because emily's artwork is only artwork in the house <laughs> <laughs> abby it sounds like you're harboring some um <laughs> i'm not harboring it i've told you this many times <laughs> I'm just kidding. it was terrible it was a terrible <laughs> it was a wonderful drawing and I'm sorry it didn't get the attention that it so clearly deserves did it look like Karen is this a no it was Karen it was our family dog and she was a miniature schnauzer it really wasn't actually you could tell it was a schnauzer I think yeah it was a good drawing it is a good drawing we're not going to use past tense it is an excellent drawing that currently has not gotten the recognition it deserves <laughs> You're just waiting for the right gallery owner. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> the also funny thing is my our brother drew a painting that was also in the basement for years. <laughs> a palm tree and I found it in the condo in Florida, but it is not hanging up with you. <laughs> <laughs> you should frame it and hang it like it's, it's framed. Oh it can be hung. Wow. <laughs> okay refocusing let's do you're fine I I love this (laughs) we could talk about external validation till the cows come home as well and comparison as robbing us of our joy (laughs) but instead (laughs) instead I kind of want to do a speed round with you all okay So I'm going to ask you three questions and then I just want you to go around and give like, you know, kind of like a a first thing that comes to your head answer. Oh, I like this. You've moved closer to each other so I can see you all. This is not a a competition. (laughs) First question. uh, uh, It's going to be a competition. Yeah, we don't want to play anymore. (laughs) 
All right. First question. What advice would you give someone who uh, like maybe has just graduated and don't know what they're going to do with their career yet? Uh, What kind of advice would you give that person? Try a bunch of things. Yes. Like there you, whatever you think you want to do might not day to day be what you thought it was. Um, I would say like, you know, within reason, like don't, you know, don't spend all your time doing this, but try, try things out. I, you might be surprised. I, I never anticipated advertising. Me and I was either, like, clearly. this is awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I agree. Portfolio school. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right. Question number two, what advice would you give people when working in groups? Listen. Yeah. Be open and also feel empowered to uh, speak up. And um, I can't think of the words right now, but like tell your point of view while also still being open and, and listening to others. Mm-hmm. Let's say like, say like write down your questions as you're going along and so that you don't derail the conversation. Like they might be answered as the conversation continues and, and only poke at the ones that weren't resolved. Ooh, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Do you have any, Stephen? Oh, no, wait, you, you already said yours. Listen. Yeah, listen. Yeah. Listen. <laughs> Which is I'm what like, I should have done and not asked you. Okay, so far he is winning the contest of the, the rapid round. <laughs> All right, last thing. What, um, what, what have you learned the most from, from going into advertising? Oof, this is a good question. That is a really this good question. This is, I'll say this, I think, about myself. I will go back to my point about how I started in accounting. I did that because growing up, I always loved math. Like that was, you always killed reading and writing. And then I, I loved math so much. So I was like, oh, that's perfect. Of course, I'm going to go into like accounting or something. And then I realized I hated it. But after being in advertising, I realized I liked math so much because I really, really love problem solving. Yep. And like every day is problem solving, it, no matter what I'm doing, whether it's an actual problem for my client or internal issues, like someone's going to be on vacation and can't get to my project, but it's due this day. I have to figure out who to go to and what to do. I mean, that seems so simple, but every single thing that I do pretty much every day is a, ch- a challenge that I'm trying to solve. I've learned that like it's it's super important to build really close relationships with all of the people that you work with internally, externally, all across the board so that you have a a really really well-stocked toolkit to turn to when you need help solving something that you can't do on your own. Like you it's you know, people have skills across the board that you wouldn't expect that don't necessarily fit their job description and you only find that out if you build strong relationships with them. Awesome. Uh, and for me, I think it would be passion is like the sexiest thing a, uh, like a coworker can have. Um, because it's, it's so much better to like working with these two. You probably tell just from the way they talk about the jobs they do, but they're passionate about like, about like doing the damn stuff. And so I think, and like, and no, like at working as someone who works with creatives, a lot of the time I've had plenty of like kickoffs where like 
there was no interest in the topic at hand or whatever. And you just knew that like, even though I could be making jokes or doing, I make jokes. <laughs> that's, that's basically. Um, so, Second act will be. <laughs> yeah. um, so, um, I, so when, the, but the, when they aren't landing or whatever, it's like, you can almost feel like the creative isn't going to be as good as it could be right then. And so at least like with someone that is, you're working with that has passion for the, for the things that they work on, that if they're not feeling inspired by the brief, they'll let you know, they'll push you, they'll have a conversation about it. And that's the, that, yeah, that's like, that's when I get super jazzed about what I do. And that's why I call it sexy. I literally saw the two of you do that like yesterday. You were like, look at this brief. And I'd be with like, I'm tracking with this, that, and the other, but like, I'm not tracking with this. Let's push this further. Teamwork. Did, I Teamwork. hope you all heard the uh, sound effect high five. <laughs> <laughs> it was a real, it was caused by a real high five. Now my sister is high-fiving the camera. Whoa. Perfect. <laughs> They're not going to see you later. So, okay. Very, very last question. Uh, since this is the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast and we focus a lot on like how people get to where they're going and how they find meaning in their life and work, that's my big question for you. How do you each find meaning in your life and work? You've been starting, so keep starting. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. No? You can start. Fine. I mean, if we're being realistic, like we sell booze. So like, it's hard to like find deeper meaning in that. And I, I honestly struggle with it a lot, but I think, and I go back to like, I'm surprised to hear myself say this twice in such rapid succession, but like the relationships that I've built with my team and with my clients and like, I feel like that's where, that's where I find like the motivation to like show up and do good work every day is you just like want to make the people that you love happy. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love that. Um, all right, fine. I find meaning in work, even though sometimes I might not um, be so passionate about the topic at hand, but actually, truthfully, I normally am because I love bourbon. Um, <laughs> but I try and look at everything like a challenge and I always push myself to make sure that I'm doing the best job that I absolutely can and making sure that I'm also bringing everybody along with me, Mm. Uh, whether it's something small, like a very quick project or something like way larger that incorporates like a ton of people. So I think I've recently been trying to push myself a lot more to just, no matter what I'm doing, making sure that it's always the best that I can. And also in life, as everyone here probably also knows, the last year or two has been the year of yes, or I'm not saying no. Um, but that's basically because I don't, I want to experience as much as I can and expand my ways of thinking about the world and myself. And so I feel like being closed off doesn't allow you to do that. So I've made myself change the way that I think, um, or maybe change the way that I act. And I'm, I had to like make myself say, don't say no to anything. Just go for it. Like, even if it's terrible, you're going to learn something or you're going to meet someone or whatever, and you're going to grow as a person just letting yourself be content with wherever you are. That's very tantric of you. 
And I don't mean like neo-tantric, sting, sexy tantric, but that's like a philosophy of accepting everything as the path to enlightenment. Uh, And so that's kind of like fun that you're going through that right now. I'm also sorry, Stephen, I'm going to derail this for a second. What the listeners don't know is that Abby, I like that you also identified challenge as part of your like way that life makes meaning. And like, I like that you game it. Because listeners don't know, Um, my sister, Abby, (laughs) uh, was like a four-year-in-a-row All-American, like, captain of the soccer team kind of person. And so I also thought it was interesting that that meaning, like, of taking everyone along with you and teamwork also followed you into your next career. That's really cool. All right. Sorry. Steven? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. My, uh, I mean, a big part of my job is getting people to have a, have a realization that, oh, I didn't, I wouldn't have, I would have never said that that way, or mm. I didn't think about something, I didn't think about it like that. And so even if my audience is primarily internal, um, I like, so I'm talking to like four people, but eventually I think if I'm feeling generous with myself, I feel like some of the perspectives I can bring, uh, and hopefully because I try to be empathetic that I I'm bringing different perspectives, um, more open, more open-mindedness to not only a creative team, but, a maybe a whole category of consumer. Yikes. Um, but that's, that's when I'm feeling generous. Other times, other times I just go like, you know, I, I pour myself some, something, a glass of something nice, take a little drag of something rather nice. And, and I, and I watch Netflix and I find meaning in that as well. And I think those are both equally valid things. They are, they are. Work and relaxation are both equally valid and all of your meanings are amazing. I love it. Well, well, let's go ahead and close out. Thank you so much for coming on the Sacred Adventure Begin podcast and sharing a little bit about your stories and philosophies. Thanks for having yeah. me. Yeah. Thanks for this. I didn't expect to enjoy this so much. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, listeners, I hope you enjoyed this. I've got a little information for you in the show notes and I will see you on the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this interview as much as I enjoyed recording it with this group. As you can tell, they're lively. Um, Another one of the big takeaways that I wanted to draw your attention to as we bring this to a close was that idea of empathy as a really beautiful way to connect to your audience, to connect to yourself, and to essentially like present in the world and to attract people to like you or a product or or whatever. I thought that was like a really interesting thing that came out during this, as well as again that like collaborative element and the beauty of how all of their stories led them to be in this group together and to be playing these roles together. So thank you so much for being here. I know this was a long interview. Um, And if you want to reach out or if you have any thoughts about the episode, feel free to message me or share the episode. It really helps the podcast get out there. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Sacred Adventure Begin. If you feel inspired by these conversations, please consider joining us on Patreon and supporting the podcast. 
Your donations help keep us up and running and start at just $2 a month. Patrons now get additional episodes of the podcast as well as art images and readings at a super affordable monthly rate. And I would love to personally welcome you into that community. Special thanks and shout out to all the Patreon members who are currently out there and all of the donations Sacred Adventure Begin has received to date. It has been such a pleasure supporting you and helping you focus in on the truth, meaning, and wisdom that can be found in our lives and experiences. Thank you too for everyone out there listening. Know that I am sending you so much love, so much awareness, and so much self-acceptance at whatever stage in your journey you find yourself on today.